Disclaimer. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of the New American Magazine. They're submitted for your entertainment and consideration. You should consult your doctor before considering expending too much strenuous energy on these controversial subjects. If you don't have medical authorization, consider this invitation as your permission slip for independent thought. Welcome to Under the Iceberg. I'm your host, Daniel Natal. Joining me is investigative researcher Jenny Silcox, the publisher for the New American Magazine, Dennis Barron, and the panel is pleased to include the mysterious Sid. Tonight's conspiracy is the metaverse. Chapter one, the premise. How do we know what we know? Philosophy calls this field of study epistemology and philosophers in antiquity were asking the question. It's as old as the mystery of consciousness. Descartes famously pointed out the fallibility of the senses. They were subject to hallucinations. Therefore, any information arrived at by the senses could only at best be opinion. Neurophysiologists tell us that every sensory impression you have is due to electrical signals that enter your brain from your perceptive organs. But what if those organs can be bypassed with electrical signals reaching the brain from an external device? In that eventuality, you wouldn't know the difference between reality and illusion. This pathology is what used to be called insanity in the 19th century, the inability to distinguish between the true and the false. The idea of the metaverse is the culmination of virtual reality technology as it eases the public into normalizing the idea of blurred lines between the authentic and the fake, between baseline reality as we hitherto understood it and a new digital realm whose impact on the senses will seem as immediate as anything originating in reality. The mistake is to conceptualize what's happening now as a sort of glorified viewmaster where you're pressing goggles to your eyes. Most discussions of the origins of virtual reality start with this toy, which was patented in 1939. Then they tell you of the sensorama created by Morton Heilig in the 1950s. He made an immersive environment to see how people would react to movie screens around them. Eventually, he created something called the telesphere mask. By the 1980s, Jaron Lanier coined the term virtual reality for gear, goggles, and gloves that he was developing then. But fast forward to the 21st century, and now the technology exists to bypass the external gear altogether. By having people ingest graphene oxide, they become hackable to radio frequencies like 5G, which can remotely hijack their neurological apparatus and submerge them into the metaverse. Dennis, you wrote a book about transhumanism. Do you want to get us started? Yeah, I'll get us started. And, uh, you know, first of all, um, what we're talking about here is really not a conspiracy. So I hate to hate to not sell it as one because that's what we're here to talk about on this podcast, our conspiracies. But, uh, you know, maybe two years ago, we could have characterized this as one. But right now we have some of the world's largest technology corporations who are marketing this very, very hard and putting a lot of money behind it. Yeah, it, it's funny you mentioned um that some of the largest corporations are, you know, kind of dead set on creating this, uh, you know, virtual reality sim world. And um, in doing research for this podcast, um, I was looking at the rivalry between Facebook or what's now calling itself Meta and Microsoft. And it, it was shocking to me that Microsoft um, is making headway and may, in fact, end up with the majority of the market share, even though everybody's associating it right now with Facebook. Like one of the the uh, the things that that uh, Microsoft was doing was they were creating um, I, I can't remember the, the the term for it, but they're creating Sims already for corporations um, in terms of simulating um, factory equipment and boilers and machines and you know so that, so that they could analyze in real time like what their real factory might be doing by looking at the second you know kind of sim reality you know so they're already creating you know kind of uh, programs for this you know, as an entry point. And, um, and so people were talking about, you know, like how did, how were personal computers normalized? And for most people, it was in, in businesses and it was in schools. And once they got used to it there, then they took it home. And when they took it home, they, 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 their entree was video games. And, um, and so you look at Microsoft, they have a huge advantage in terms of Xbox. They own Xbox. They just did a, a merger with Activision. I think it was $64 billion. So they have this whole suite of, of, of games to kind of lure people in as an entry point. Um, and Mark Zuckerberg, on the other hand, what do they have? Farmville? I mean, this <laughs> as something yeah. comparable, you know, look at the, look at the ad for the metaverse. So tiger and ox one, right? All you need to know is right there. Literally 
<laughs> um, okay, so did y'all pay a lot of attention to the to that ad at all or no? No. I don't think I've seen the ad. What is it? Okay. I Basically, it, yes. Yeah. I know Den is Dennis. Did you pay close attention to it? Uh, well, I don't normally have cable television, so the answer is both yes and no, because I saw it when I was not home. So I tried to pay attention to it when I was at this other this other family's house, and I, I, I noticed it and I looked at it, but I didn't get a chance to study it as close as I might have if it would have been playing in my own house. Okay. So basically, in the video, they get these teens basically get brainwashed, brainwashed into accepting the metaverse, which was, how do you put it? The ad was taking place inside the painting of a famous uh, socialist Darwinist painter. I can't remember his name. Give me a second. Pull up my notes. There we go. Henry Russo, or I believe I'm okay. pronouncing that right. So that was to bring them in. But the paintings in the background we need to pay attention to. It's uh, by Hilma F. Kent, Seothivist. Uh, Mm, okay. That those paintings are specific kind of paintings. They're ones for the altar. If you look at her work, the paintings that she did were mainly under the influence of trance-like states and tapping into beings called they called the high masters, which they don't know what the hell they were really tapping into. That was those, Blavatsky and Steiner, yeah. right? Uh, not Steiner. Steiner broke away from the movement because he disagreed with it. With but theosophy. Blavatsky, yes. The Theosophist movement is really where... Um, what do you call it? Where they really like glorified Lucifer. It's really the start of that. Yeah. And that's a uh, member uh, the UN. Uh, one of the founding members of the UN um, was one of the theosophists. I can't remember her name right now. And she founded the Lucius Trust, which was originally called the Lucifer Trust in the UN. You know, so a lot of their their stuff is plugged into this. So that's a good catch, Sid, you yeah. know, because it's showing a but, fingerprint. But it's, it's also, um, let me, sorry. It's, it's literally distracting you. It's, um, those pieces in the back are the altar pieces. Basically, the all her works were designed around this temple in her mind, right? Going from the bottom to the top. Those pieces supposed to be at the very top. So it's in the temple. The teens are inside the temple. That's what people are not catching. They are inside the temple, but they're not paying attention. They're being lured in. This is basically them leaving their fingerprint, like you were saying. They are telling you everything they're doing. They're social Dar Dar Darwinists and they're theosophists, but they aren't seeing the results that they want to see with humanity progressing. So they're going to go another route with technology, with the whole graphene and the COVID shots. They're trying to force the evolution. You understand? No, yeah, they're, they're openly saying that. Yeah, they're openly saying that, that they're going to guide evolution. Um, you know, yeah, like but they're the making Jason big mistakes. They're going to kill 90% rather than guide anybody. Well, that, this is, that, um, that's the thing. I mean, it, they're, they're trying to uh, lure us in, like Sid said, you know. And so, so at first, yeah. it's not going to be the graphene oxide. At first, it's just going to be the goggles, right, and, and, and the kind of, you know, garden variety equipment and stuff uh, that they've moved beyond, really. And, and their entry points are going to be, you know, for businesses, it's going to be Zoom meetings, you know, where Zuckerberg was like, oh, well, we're going to get rid of Zoom meetings. That's going to be obsolete within a couple. And the, and the truth is, it, it looks pretty cool, you know, to go into a meeting and to, to you know, ha have like a nice, cool kind of room and, you know, like all and, and to have your, your privacy in, in the real world and stuff. I mean, I could see people being drawn into this. And once it's normalized in the business setting, then people are going to start really, you know, just like it's going to parallel personal computers. Then they're going to start, you know, doing it at home more and more. And then it's going to it's it's going to be addictive, you know, because it is it's, it, it really is alluring. Like the concepts, like when I was looking at uh, Microsoft's, you know, uh, you know, simulated uh, factory equipment and stuff like that, like you could see real practical applications for that, just like, you know, for uh, engineering, you know, for you to be able to, Absolutely. in a hands-on way, you know, kind of make machine. I mean, Tesla, Nikola Tesla did this with his imagination. He used to do waking dreaming and he would, he, he, he conditioned his mind to such an extent that he could like visualize machines like in front of him and he would like, you know, kind of manipulate them and, and stuff. And that, so, so the average person is going to have access to quote unquote waking dreaming. And that's, you know, that's very alluring. Uh, can I tell you a story about working in an industrial setting? Yeah, of course. I, I had a design training for technicians on um, plasma cleaner, which was, oh, it used an argon sheath and it, it put out an oxygen plasma. Um, the, the thing that it was cleaning was a half mile long, one foot wide roll of stainless steel. And um, this, it was around 50,000 volts to achieve the oxygen plasma. 
and the argon sheath was basically there to stop everything from catching on fire because of the electrified oxygen stream. And uh, to get that over, we had, uh, I mainly designed training for technicians on a robotic, a large robotic assembly line for, uh, they were basically sub-assemblies for uh, hard disk components. But uh, long story short, I had a lot of people that did not speak English because at the time the company was getting subsidized for hiring Somalis and they switched. I, I got the technician training pretty much done. Uh, but what I had to do for the technician training was to help them understand the various components of the machine. So what I did was I, I created a website and I, I had in the website, I did have a simulation that was the machine. You could toggle the knobs and you could change the flow rates and you could set the voltage and you could run through your maintenance um, machine of the machine by doing uh, simulated material uh, work because I took a bunch of photos of the machine and I made a virtual copy or um, an image of the machine that was interactive. And, uh, and basically that was the, the reason for that was to get around the compromise of language, not having um, too much in common with the Somali, the Somalis that needed to troubleshoot the machine. They, uh, it was much better for them to actually have a, a simulated way of tweaking knobs and seeing what the results were if they changed settings and, and stuff like that. So it's already been done just using HTML or XHTML. And, and so the simulation idea is great, except that um, I think there are right now that, uh, you know, the industrial side of it is, is quite interesting, but I guess I, I always get hung up on, um, well, there are two things. One is the cultural and perceptual limitations of the human, and, and the other is the uh, limitations for an overall or an overarching understanding of an entire system of machines that all interlock and that is really big. It's a big system that creates the, these products. And I think it is help for the, helpful for the human to have an, a, an idea of what processes came before and what processes will be coming after. And so it's an enormous thing. And I, I really do think that uh, it's gonna be quite a challenge to process all the data that's going to be required for this. This is going to take incredible amounts of quant of quantum computing. Well, I mean, you to, make you make a good simulations. You make a good point in, in terms of like the linguistic uh, variations between different population groups, and that's exactly probably why uh, they're driving this. You know, with you know, if they want a globalized world, if they want global citizens, and they can't really communicate, you know, all that well in terms of language, then you can use this to you know to augment that. Um, Dennis, do you have any uh, input on uh, what Ginny is saying? Yeah, you know, I think. With regard to computing power, um, I fluctuate back and forth from being pessimistic to optimistic. I guess we want to use a couple of terms as to whether or not computing power is going to continue expanding a la Moore's Law. And I, for a few years there, probably thought, and I did think that probably Moore's Law was going to run out. And I really didn't think we were going to see the same kind of uh, acceleration that we'd previously experienced with it. I no longer think that. Um, even in the even in the capacity of current chip technology, the fact that uh, Taiwan Semiconductor is making chips with five nanometer etchings to me is incredible, and they're doing it at a mass scale, and that's currently commercialized. And what's in their lab? Um, you know it's three and you know it's one nanometer you know that those things are coming those are incredible advancements and that's not even getting into uh what jenny mentioned which is the promise and peril of quantum computing which uh takes things in incredibly new directions that we as a as a technological culture have not even begun to grapple with i think when it comes to processing power probably at this point we have only scratched the surface as to what's coming uh, the other thing that is a, a temporary hindrance, in my opinion, with regard to broad scale implementation of the metaverse is the cultural fact that most people who are probably older than 25 are not going to want to strap on a headset 
and VR gloves in order to interact with the metaverse. I think people who are younger than 25 who are looking for that sort of connection and that sort of novelty probably would be the early adopters for that. And I don't think anyone would be surprised when that happens. But those are the technologies today that are commercially possible as of this particular moment in time. Uh, they also are not the technologies that's in the labs. And I'll just read to you a little uh, abstract. Uh, this is going back a couple of years now to, I believe it's 2017 from the journal Neurotherapeutics. Um, so this is technology that's a few years old already. Uh, and the, the abstract begins this, wireless and precise stimulation of deep brain structures could have important applications. We we're just talking about some of those. Herein we report that magnetoelectric nanoparticles can be guided to a targeted brain region to stimulate brain activity with a magnetic field. We demonstrated the nanoparticles capability to reliably evoke fast neuronal responses in cortical slices ex vivo. After fluorescently labeled men's were intravenously injected and delivered to a targeted brain region by applying a magnetic field gradient, a magnetic field of low intensity applied to the mouse head reliably evoked cortical activities as revealed by two photon and mesoscopic imaging of calcium signals and by an increased number of CFOS expressing cells after stimulation. Neither brain delivery of men's nor magnetic stimulation caused significant increases in astrocytes and microglia. Thus, men's could enable a non-invasive and contactless deep brain stimulation without the need of genetic manipulation. Uh, this is again, 2017, I believe. Uh, the work continues. This work is actually going on right now in a number of labs, and it's being funded by the federal government via DARPA. And now uh, they, have a mil they have millions of lab rats that all have it already installed in their neocortex. So what I'm because and, it's graphene. And what I'm saying is these things are these things are going to be commercialized in the not too distant future on a large scale. And so when they talk about the metaverse being persistent and pervasive. Uh, pervasive means it's everywhere. Persistent means it doesn't go away when you log out of it. And the implication is that if you are in the metaverse, uh, you're interacting with whatever it is in the metaverse, and you happen to walk outside with your, your VR overlay, you take that metaverse with you outside into, quote unquote, the real world. And then when you pop into some other metaverse, even if it's a Microsoft version of the metaverse versus, say, the Facebook version of the metaverse, it's interoperable. They're, they're looking at this interoperability to, and, and standards-based interoperability, just like we have interoperability via the existing internet via web browser. So there'll be, there'd be standards developed to make that interoper, interoperability a reality. When all these things fall into place, what you introduced at the very beginning, Daniel, is the question of what then becomes real and what then becomes artificial and how do you distinguish between the real and the artificial. And for my part, I've concluded, and I think it's the only reasonable conclusion, someone can try to talk me out of it, that your, your, your statement about madness, about insanity, uh, we're commercializing insanity. Frankly, that's what we're going, that's what we're going toward. Chapter two, speculation. That's 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 a great uh, analysis. Um, just to, just to, to throw this out there, uh, the philosopher Heidegger um, he talked about uh, Martin Heidegger, by the way. He talked about how man is Homo Faber, the tool using animal, and uh, because he, he noticed that human beings seem much like horseshoe crabs, we augment our senses with different tools. Like we'll wear eyeglasses uh, to augment our eyes. We'll wear hearing aids to augment our our ears. We will wear clothes almost like a second skin. And so it's 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 in our nature to use tools. And so they're kind of taking advantage of that at, at this initial stage of the metaverse where, you know, the like you said, people under 25 might be open to wearing a headset or gloves or, or something like this, or the glasses that Microsoft has, you know, that, that, you know, you can kind of see things through the glasses that you can't see with your regular eyes. But um, it's the technology is going beyond that to where now you, we're talking about, you know, where we already have the technology where we can dispense with those and the tools will now be inside of you. You know, it, it, it like they, they, there was another uh, test they did, did too. Uh, there was the God helmet, you know, which was one where they were stimulating the brain with electromagnetic waves. And we no lo longer need that God helmet. There's no need for the helmet now that you know, graphene oxide and, and uh, radio signals are, are, you know, usable and have been used. Um, but there, there was also a study too, back in 2015 or 16, where they were, um, 
using magnetic frequencies for uh, people who were uh, quadriplegics and, and paraplegics and people who couldn't speak and they were kind of in a vegetative state. And they could actually use, you know, the, they could hack their brain and the brain could, you know, send signals to the computer and they could basically, in a primitive sense, read the person's mind and the person could communicate now, you know, using this technology. And that sounds great at first on the surface because you're like, oh, look, it's helping a person who's, you know, in a coma, somebody who's stuck in their body. Um, but that same technology, it can now be applied to, you know, these, these new emergent technologies. Um, Sid, do you have any uh, input as somebody who's uh, around the age of 25 or under? <laughs> You're around the right age group that they're targeting. I mean, that's what they're targeting the ad. Like, they, they're telling you, they're showing you that these, that they're going to lure the young people in this way. Their purpose, they have to tell you. They have to show you a clue. Otherwise, it's it's part of their religion. They get bad karma or whatever you want to, when you, you want to call it. They have to show you what's coming ahead. It, it does bring up, my, uh, you know, the whole thing about the Matrix and all these people just living false lives and they're all really in pods generating voltage for the machines. Exactly. <laughs> so, but, but they're all bathed in fluid and they're getting their... You know, they're just living in a complete illusion world. Exactly, but like I'll touch on what Daniel said. Where um, like that philosopher, what he said, it's um, they believe that they're social Darwinists, but also they're theosophists. At the same time, they're they're trying to use technology to forcibly ascend, like make people like ascension, but in an opposite way. If you know what I mean, they're trying to force it. They're they're tired of waiting for humanity to go to the next level in their terms. So they're forcing, they're forcing everyone to go that way. Well, just the just funny thing is, uh, I don't go. think they're particularly evolved. Actually. Yeah, exactly. But to them, it's a picture from their point of view. They're rich. They have tons of power, and now they're bored. And yeah, so then, so we're the playthings. Exactly. And so now they're tired of the same old playthings, and they're saying, "Okay, we want something new." Well, well just, they're tired of waiting. Just to get back to, to what you were saying, Sid, um, in terms of religion, like we had another podcast where we were talking about uh, alchemy in the medieval ages and how they believed that there were various stages of man. And one of them, you know, is animal man, one is vegetable man, but one was mineral man, you know, where they believed that at the earliest state that human beings were like rock-like creatures. And then they evolved up into vegetable man and our neurological system kind of looks like a plant, you know, like the little, you know, fractal patterns that a plant has. Um, that's what our nerves look like. And so they, they think that, you know, we evolved from there up into, you know, into uh, animal man, where, where, where now we attained mobility and we could move around and stuff. So, so you know, it, it, it does seem suggestive to me that, you know, according to their, like, religious beliefs, I mean, they're, they're turning us back into mineral man by injecting us with metal. You know, they're, they're, they're injecting metal into us to, to bring us down into a lower state. And I wanted to, to touch on something, too, um, like an angle in my notes. Let me, let me see if I can get my notes here. Um, it was it was basically in the context of Facebook losing 36% of its value. And Zuckerberg lost like $30 billion recently. Um, and so he, he basically wants to recoup those losses by making money selling digital real estate, selling digital clothes, selling skins for games, for characters in games. And NFTs. Yeah, well, uh, exactly. So, so, well, it, for for the public that doesn't know what NFTs are, um, this is basically non fungible transactions, right? Like a, a non fungible non fungible token. Thank you. And uh, so, so basically, in in terms of money, fungibility means that you can switch out, say, five one dollar bills for a single five dollar bill, and they both equal the same thing. Five ones equals five, you know, a single five dollar bill. Non fungible is the opposite of that. Non fungible is something that can't be switched out. So if you have like an original thing, an original item, it, it acquires value by its uniqueness. And so recently in the book, uh, The Future of Money by Eswar Prashad, he talks about how the, the maker of Cat went on and created an NFT of the gif of Cat, a little cat, you know, 8-bit cat with a rainbow like coming out of its vapor trail <laughs> and, uh, and, and sold that, monetized that. And so you're looking at the monetization of a bunch of just, you know, kind of intellectual property in the metaverse. And um, let me, um, I'm going to, I have a clip that kind of goes toward that. So bear with me one second. We wondered, just because we can make an NFT of anyone or anything, will anybody actually want it? 
I say this uh, in a humbling way. Why would someone want to purchase my NFT? I mean, what is the value? Just explain it to me. Well, think of NFTs again as memorabilia. You are now enabling everyone to create moments and the market will determine what those moments are valued at. Perhaps you can create a JPEG of yourself in the middle of one of the best interviews and made history and that, that NFT will have a value. Somebody might be interested. Kathy Hackle is a VP at Avatar Dimension, the company that owns this studio. The way I explain it to people is, back in the day, like my brother and his friends would save money to buy Air Jordans, right? right. Nowadays, my kids, who are all under 10, uh, actually, whenever they have a special occasion, they actually ask me to buy them Robux, which is a digital currency inside Roblox, hmm. right? And they use it to buy avatar skins and, you know, the way they look in game to them is almost as important as the way they look in real life. Like they'll meet there. What do you think the catalyst was? The pandemic. Why? Because we we're all thrust into, you know, into our computers and living at home and working on Zoom and all these things like that physical life that we had a little bit more of, we were all thrown into this virtual world and it kind of accelerated everything. The result is a modern day land grab. Upper East Side, Fifth Avenue. For real estate in the digital world. So this is like as startup as we get. Right? We visited Upland, one of several virtual platforms selling digital real estate. We arrived in Silicon Valley, next to a dentist's office, but soon learned this thousand square feet of physical real estate was responsible for all of the virtual real estate in San Francisco and many other cities. Okay, hey everyone. Uh, international, globally, all hands meeting today. Longtime entrepreneur Dirk Luth, who's from Germany, is now building out a world that looks similar to a game, which makes sense because it was inspired by one. Take me to the moment you came up with the concept for Upland. One night we saw our kids always playing the board game Monopoly. We said, wouldn't it be cool to take the whole world and put that on the blockchain and, and bring that together somehow? Why I played that clip is because it highlights three different things. NFTs, it highlights money being made on digital skins and clothes and all that kind of. And the third thing is it highlights digital real estate. And now what I wanted to hit was the guy at the end of the clip, he mentions blockchain, you know, the blockchain. Yeah. And so what, what I, I was just talking to a friend of mine who's at the Central Bank of Canada, and he wanted me to participate in a think tank. And I was one of the, the people there. And I was noticing that as the government creates more and more fiat currency and they need to get rid of it or else hyperinflation is going to happen. So right on cue, you have the second parallel world where that money, instead of flooding into the real world and causing damage, might be mitigated to have some of that money go into this fake simulated world where people are buying fake simulated products and it might help stanch some of the you know, the flood of, of money printing that's happened over the last you know 11 months well that's one reason they hate the blockchain is that they can't they can't really affect the blockchain uh in ways that uh, they do with conventional money laundering and you know the standard uh, tech tactics of the fed none of that stuff uh, plays through when it comes to to the security uh, security of the blockchain. Well, th but that's the thing. Right now, if you, if you in that book, the future of money that I mentioned uh, by Aswar Prashad. He mentions the fact that most of the central banks in the world are about to release central bank digital currencies, and they're probably going to collapse what we think of as money. Um, and they're creating this digital version of it, which they can track, which they can meter, which they can shut off if you're a dissident, which means I did a, a, a video on this um, in terms of the circular economy, where you know they, they want you to get in, into this licensing model where you will own nothing and you'll be happy. And instead of owning your refrigerator, you'll license it from the company. Instead of owning your television set, you'll license it from the company. And so they've already been doing this with ebooks, where you have an ebook and you think you bought it, but they can yank it off your ebook. They could change words in your ebook as Barnes and Noble got in trouble for doing. So you're oh. licensing it, right? And so so money, I was talking to my friend, you know, at the central bank. I said, if they can if they can meter the way that you use your money, if they can say, okay, well, you can only use your money within a five mile radius, or you can't buy pizza, like in China, what, what they're doing. Or if they say, you're dissident, I'm shutting your money off altogether. We're in a position where you're now licensing your money. You thought you owned it. You thought you worked for it. But if they can turn it off, you don't own it. You're licensing it. 
it's a direct attack on private property rights. That's exactly what it is. It, it's an attempt to, <clears throat> excuse me, it's an attempt to destroy private property rights, which are, you know, the key elements of, of what we build our society on and what we build our civilization on. And they're tied directly to your natural rights as a human being uh, here in the United States in particular, uh, because this doesn't exist anywhere else. Uh, we recognize in our founding documents that uh, our rights are given to us inherently by our creation as human individuals. Uh, this is different than, say, in Canada, where the Charter of Freedom in Canada says you have certain rights that we uh, deign to allow you to exercise unless we change our mind. Uh, and this doesn't exist anywhere else except here in the United States, and it's in, intractably tied to property rights. Uh, so if you can erase property rights by going to a digital currency that can be revoked and modified at any time, uh, you know, that's that's great for people who want to control every aspect of society. And clearly that's where we're going. Um, you see this taking place brutally in Canada right now with the emergency order from the Trudeau government uh, to defund and collect the money and shut down the bank accounts for anyone who is supporting, even on a social media post, uh, the trucker convoys. Uh, you know, how much easier would that be for governments to do if they could just simply push a button on a control console uh, in a computer and say, oh, well, gee, sorry, your your digital currency isn't worth anything now. Well, Very easy to do. Or how about like the GoFundMe? I mean, in Canada, where where you, you have a digital aspect of, of money, it's called fintech, right? Financial technology. And people are sending, you know, money to this platform and then they just seized the money and just stole it, you know, and then and then said, oh, well, we're going to use this for liberal causes. We're going to give the money that you wanted to send to the truckers to gay rights movements and, and stuff like that, you know, like all, the, all these things. And then they, they rescinded that because they got in trouble, you know, and government started, uh, you know, looking at how inherently unethical that is. But to get back to what you were saying, I, I, I think I mentioned this in a, in a previous podcast where I was talking to my friend um, who runs the Shy Sustainability Center. He's a professor at Furman University, and he's a big sustainability guy. He's a big lefty. And uh, so I, I have conversations with him. And when we were talking about the things like the circular economy and all these you know, sustainability buzzwords and, you know, the removal of private property, you know, you will own nothing and be happy, as the World Economic Forum says. Um, I, I made that point that you just did, Dennis. I, I said to him that nine tenths of human rights were based on property rights. So I said, so what happens when prop property doesn't exist anymore? What happens to the concept of human rights? And the answer is they erode and the, the government starts making the assertion or let's say the powers that be, because this is beyond government. Um, the powers that be make the assertion that you don't own anything. You have no human rights. You don't even own your body. We can inject you with whatever we want because you no longer have human rights because they're based on property rights. And I, so I asked him, I was like, is there any discussion about this in the sustainability com you know, community, how this will have a domino effect and affect law, legal precepts? And he said, no. Like nobody's talking about it. Nobody's asking these questions because they're so siloed. They're so like in their little their little cubbyhole that they're not aware. People who are in the sustainability thing might be paying attention to engineering or they might be paying attention to industry or manufacturing, but they're not set up to do big picture thinking to to, to realize, hey, that this is going to affect this, 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 and this. <laughs> um, you know, because of that that silo effect. It's it's really alarming that there's been such little deep thought from academia regarding these issues. You know, I've been looking into the distributed model for the metaverse because there are several uh, areas like Roblox would be one, you know, where it's a focus area. And there, the uh, tendency seems to be um, unique focus areas that will attract one user or another, you know, who will pay the $369 for the Quest 2 goggles and all that kind of stuff. And... Uh, so in a way, I think that's the same as being siloed because they're right now the appeal is to specific games, gamer environments. And, you know, it could it could be for specific industries and, and things like that. And so those are going to be silos. So I can imagine that it would be sort of like real life where some people would stay immersed only in particular limited limited areas. And it might actually cause them to be afraid to go exploring in the metaverse beyond their little world, just like being locked down for the, uh, you know, there's an entire generation of children that does not want to leave their home. They don't want to uh, learn to drive. They, they want to stay at home on their phone. And that's how they associate with their friends. And they don't want to go out to the movies. 
they don't want to go uh, anywhere out physically. Let me um, play a clip that has that kind of bears on that point. They say the future is exciting. It's full of surprises and opportunities. But here's something we rarely say about the future. It's volatile and dangerous. I'm talking about the metaverse. If you ask Mark Zuckerberg, it's the best thing on earth. You can meet new people, you can have new experiences, you can build new businesses. It's a win-win for all. But let me share the story of 43-year-old Nina Jane Patel from London. And then you can decide. Patel works at a technology firm in Britain. She was testing out Facebook's metaverse technology. She logged in, she created an avatar, and she went exploring. Do you know what happened next? Her avatar was raped by other users. Let me repeat. Her virtual avatar was gang-raped by other metaverse users. Here's what Nina Patel wrote on her blog. Within 60 seconds of joining, I was verbally and sexually harassed, three to four male avatars with male voices essentially, but virtually gang-raped my avatar and took photos. Nina Patel was traumatized. She threw out her headphones and logged out. So that kind of gets to what you were saying, Jenny, about like people being afraid, uh, even in the metaverse, and kind of staying in a particular silo, say Zoom meetings or say a particular video game, rather than wandering around freely, because it's almost like you know people who believe in astral projecting wandering around the lower astral realms and <laughs> getting attacked by demons. Yeah, right, right. Well, and and uh, I think this whole lockdown has created um, a lot of fear, in uh, particularly in children. Um, that's going to echo into their adulthood. They, they're going to be way more isolated than, say, people in my generation. Oh, the psychological impact on kids of this is, uh, it's almost hard to wrap your head around how staggering and, and large it's going to be and what the ramifications are. It's disastrous. I mean, how many years has it been since it's affected schools? About three or four now, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Think about the kids who started on kindergarten and you know, it's a primary part of them developing social interaction, just seeing faces every day. Yeah. They model it's their nuts. speech on, on um, facial patterns. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely insane. The, the impact from this is going to last for like a long time. Yeah. Multiple generations. Yeah. Multiple generations. And that lady in one of the clips that I played um, regarding the metaverse and, and uh, she was asking, you know, what's driving this? And she was like, oh, the pandemic, the pandemic is driving this, which isn't exactly true because you guys were working on this technology before the pandemic. Uh, but they're using it as like, you know, like their, their pretext, their excuse, you know, but really they know they're very conscious that they're going to drive people out of the real world into this fake world because the real world is going to get more and more dystopian. And they're, and for them, that works for that business model it works because you're going to be withdrawing into like a fake reality and so i was thinking about that in terms of when i was a kid you know just to juxtapose this to to sid's unfortunate uh you know kind of spending his youth in, at this time period but when i was a, a younger person in the 80s uh we would have public service announcements saying say no to drugs you know um to 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 you know embrace reality whereas now we have like you know a president biden who is giving people crack needles who is saying crack say bites. say yes yeah, say yes to drugs say yes to the metaverse say yes to this this fake reality and this is what happened when a civilization loses self-confidence in itself it starts to withdraw away from reality and to encourage like you know solipsism to encourage you know a social disintegration you know just just you know it's kind of like joe rogan um you know he, he he pretends to be you know this this like hero to young you know boys and stuff like that but really his his ultimate message is watch tv and do drugs you know watch watch more mma and and do ayahuasca you know and it's, it's really the bread and circuses technique of the Roman Empire is it's collapsing, you know, and, and that's and this gets back to what I was saying earlier, as we're going into hyperinflation and as they're trying to hide that hyperinflation, isn't it wonderful that you can you create this fake secondary world, you know, that you can that has infinite fake stuff, anything that you make up, any intellectual property, you can spend money, you know, like real money you know, translated into this fake world and then it's kind of hidden, you know, it's siloed in that in that fake world just to reuse that term again. Can I touch on something real quick? Of course. So, like, first of all, let me give you, like, basically, like, my generation and the younger people's view on NFTs and stuff like that. One second. Neighbors. Anyways, no one likes it. 
I'm telling you this. It's like the people who buy it, they're idiots. <laughs> no, no one is actually buying the NFTs. Basically, okay, from what I've been hearing, my friends groups and beyond, it's just a giant to language circle jerk of people just trying to scam each other. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's all it is. Like you see these people with these stupid like what do you call it? like these um they make like individual monkey pictures and then they get mad if you like screen capture it. <laughs> oh. Like the blockchain says I own it. No man, it's it's stupid. It's idiotic. No one is really buying it. They want to sell you that, but no one really is. And so the person who freaking like went into the metaverse and that happened, well, that's part of being on the internet. Like that, that that's just like part of like that like online gaming and stuff like that. Was that you, Sid? Were you the one who attacked no. uh, the Miss Patel in London? <laughs> no, but th- like that's just part of gaming. Like even um, what do you call it? like a few years ago, a cousin of mine, it was about like fifteen, sixteen. So he was playing GTA Online, and like that's Grand Theft Auto Online, and the hackers were just manipulating everything. They were making airplanes fall out of the sky. They were like raining down. No, like, they were having fun. Yeah, and then they could edit the like models in any way they could so the same thing happened to that lady happened to his character (laughs) well but you 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 made an excellent point this i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt go ahead but all he had to do was either just unplug it and go downstairs and like play cards with the family or he could just stay there and be mad i mean you just go out in life you know i mean it's it's fun entertainment sometimes but don't be obsessed with it I wanted to touch on what Sid said about the NFTs and stuff like that. And what it reminds me of is money laundering that happened in World War One. In World War One, when all the European currencies were collapsing, all of a sudden they needed to get wealth out of the country. And you, you couldn't do it in currency. And if you didn't have gold or, or other kind of, you know, uh, tangible assets, what they started to do was they would grossly inflate the value of paintings. And this was the time period when all of a sudden, you know, Cezans and Picassos and, and you know, Durands and, and all these things hyper inflated in value because it was a way to store value. So it was it was basically a form of money laundering where you're turning a paint, painting into cash. Hunter Biden is, is currently yeah. using this technique. So yeah. you could see intelligence agencies and billionaires, you know, pretending to buy Nyan Cat, you know, the 8-bit Nyan Cat, you know, GIF and uh, and saying, oh, it's this is worth $50 million, you know, as a, <laughs> as a method to, to money launder. I wanted to, to touch on the second point, too, that you guys mentioned. Um, Sid said, you know, we'll, we'll We'll just take off the equipment and, and stop playing, go outside. And there, there was a book called um, Shop Class for Soulcraft. And uh, these are my notes for it. It says, uh, a writer named Matthew Crawford talks about consumerism and how as we buy products, instead of making them, we lose agency. He writes about the distinction between things and devices, saying, the philosopher Albert Borgman offers a distinction that clarifies this. He distinguishes between commanding reality and disposable reality, which corresponds to things versus devices. The former convey meaning through their own inherent qualities, while the latter answer to our shifting psychic needs. As an instance of the eclipse of commanding reality and the prominence of disposable reality, Borgman focuses on music. People play musical instruments a lot less than they used to. Now we listen to the stereo or iPod. An instrument is arduous to master and limited in its range, whereas a stereo is undemanding and makes every sort of music instantly available, granting us a kind of musical autonomy. The stereo, writes Borgman, as a device contrasts with the instrument as a thing. A thing, in the sense in which I use the term, has an intelligible and accessible character and calls forth skills and active human engagement. A thing requires practice, while a device invites consumption. Things constitute commanding reality. Devices procure disposable reality. Crawford adds, an example of skilled and active human engagement might be a family gathered around a guitar singing songs. This would be an instance of what Borgman calls a focal practice, which is the decided, regular, and usually communal devotion to a focal thing such as a guitar. Such things gather our world and radiate significance in ways that contrast with the diversion and distracted afforded by commodities. Crawford then has a section on the loss of agency. With a guitar, for instance, you have complete agency. With a radio, you're a passive participant. So he writes... Countercultural people on the left and right alike complain about the problem of technology. The complaint usually centers on our alleged obsession with control, as if the problem were the objectification of everything by a subject who is intoxicated with power, leading to a triumph of the instrumental rationality. 
But what if we are inherently instrumental or pragmatically oriented all the way down, and the use of tools is really fundamental to the way that a human being inhabits the world? The ancient philosopher Anaxagoras wrote, it is by having hands that man is the most intelligent of animals. And this kind of gets back to what I was saying about Heidegger, saying that man is the tool-using animal. And so basically, we are designed to have agency. We're designed to have things, not devices, but things, things that we can use, like a guitar, right? It takes a lot more skill to do it, but it gives you agency. Once you get used to the disposable reality of things like the metaverse, you know, things like a radio technology, you know, video games, um, you know, this is disposable reality. You lose agency. And so it makes it harder for these people once you lose your agency to just unplug, right? They, they become more passive. They become passive participants instead of uh, doers. Can I, can I throw something in there? Yeah, of course. You, that is a matter of attitude, I think. And it's also a matter of acculturation because uh, imagine if you had uh, an immersive reality and you were, uh, say, a microbiologist or a biochemist and you had an array of various organic molecules at your disposal and you could put pick them out of the imaginary tool bins and start putting them together and because of the algorithms that are engineered according to the laws of chemistry if you tried to fit two together that don't really go together in nature you could not really do it so that you would have the agency of constructing a new organic molecule um, by picking out simul you know tools so you, you, you can have an immersive reality where you are creating something, where you are taking authority and, and working on a design process, you know, rather than just being a consumer. Well, yeah, but, the, but that's the thing is, is the point that he's making in that book um, is that we are not make like as a society, we've become very lazy and we're not making, we're selecting, right? We're, yeah, more we're, and more. Yeah. I think that's. Yeah. Yeah. And like there was a, the, the producer for the Beatles, George Martin, he said that, you know, like they created all these different new sound effects that didn't exist before. They created all these these new techniques, like they created the, the flanging technique. They, they did the first uh, fade in um, things that we take for, you know, for granted today that they, they invented. And he said, I think today there's there's too much selecting and not enough inventing because now people have mixing boards with all these preset, you know, sound effects and stuff like that. So so they've become very lazy. They've become limited. It's kind of like a mom manipulating a child by, by giving them the illusion of choice and saying, hey, Je you know, Jenny, I'm going to give you the choice of dress A or dress B. And the child you know, think she's true. Oh, dress A. Okay. Well, but the mom made both choices. Right. So she, she didn't right. really like her, her, her agency was limited. It was contract contracted down. And just by the nature of technology, that's how we're being manipulated. So even though it's being sold to us as this great, you know, platform to do engineering and all this kind of stuff, just by dint of the of the setup, I mean, it's 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 really fostering kind of you know disposable reality. It's fostering laziness. It's fostering someone else is making the choices, and you just select one. You know, you, you, so you've lost a, 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 a massive amount of your agency. You know, and this this goes beyond the metaverse. This is just the modern age where technology has really started dumbing us down to the point where people walk into a McDonald's and they can't read the menu. And they're like, oh, give me a number one meal. You know, the technology has become such that we're losing skills that we yeah, used to have. We're losing like cognitive skills. True. Nobody knows how to read a map anymore. Or, yeah. or me. I don't know how to look up at the sky. If somebody said, hey, uh, go, go do, do east of Polaris, I wouldn't know what that means. But all of our ancestors would. All of our ancestors, I mean, we don't even look at the sky anymore. I do. <laughs> That's because many, I live in Colorado. In <laughs> many places, you can't see the sky because of the light from light all pollution. the uh, cities. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say there's a disconnect between the old knowledge and what's new. And what's new is really just, what do you call it? It's really just getting rid of the old. You know what I mean? That's what they're trying to do. It's in like the innate technology we got from, or not technology, but the innate knowledge we got from our ancestors is being dwindled down and being basically cut off from us. Once you lose that, you're just a shell. You're just a consumer totally through and through. Like once you lose that little bit of humanity that you have left, that little bit of primalness, you know, once you lose that, you lose your soul. Well, that I really do think there are some possible social remedies to that, but people have to be aware of the increasing fallacy, you know, but the, no? yeah, 
But the problem is they don't want to be aware. It's a matter of choice. They wish not to see, they wish not to hear, and they wish not to interact. They want to just bury their heads in the sand. Like, okay, um, there, there's a movie that came out. Like, Did y'all ever see it? It's called Ready Player One. Oh, yeah, yeah, my, my, my yeah. wife watched that. I didn't. Yeah, so they have all these VR headsets, and they're trying to track down this like virtual token, like not virtual token, but this virtual key that will give them control, this whole thing. Yeah, several and keys. Yeah. Now, pay attention to the environment in the real world around them. They don't care. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, they don't care. They want to just, they just want to like get rid of it. They just want to like to drown out their sorrows and to like drown themselves in like pleasure and all that. They're not taking any steps to actually fix the problem to make the reality better. They are just allowing themselves to sink lower and lower, to be worse and worse. Yeah, it's like an and opium that's where den. We're at now. Yeah, it's a, yeah, a digital opium den. Yeah, that's what we're yeah. in right now. This is the beginning of it. It's the Matrix. Chapter 3 Conclusion. So let me wrap this up um, and start with Dennis. Dennis, what is your ultimate, uh, what are your concluding thoughts on the metaverse? Well, I think we are in a bit of a budding uh, sort of a war. And we see it in many places. And it is the war between uh, the urban elite and the war between, uh, with them and against uh, the rural remnant. And in the urban elite, the virtual is everything because even the real environment of the urban, the modern urban landscape is largely virtualized. Uh, and no one in the real urban environment today has to, or even has any ability to understand where their daily food supply comes from, or much less have to create it themselves. It's, in, it's inexplicable. Uh, I think in many cases, they may not understand what happens when they flip a switch to turn on their lights in their homes, uh, which is completely different than the reality of the rural remnant who has to still go out and deal with raising the actual food that the rest of the world is eating, uh, which requires fueling vehicles and shoveling snow and plowing the earth uh, and, and innumerable other things that actually have to take place in the real world. Uh, but we've had the trend to move everyone in the civilization to the urban centers, to the artificialities of the urban centers. And it's those folks uh, who are most attracted and targeted by the metaverse. And uh, unfortunately for them, I believe it to be a trap. Ultimately, you can't eat an NFT. And uh, yeah, really. if, if everyone is busy building NFTs and building you know, virtual wardrobes in the metaverse and selling these things, and uh, then no one's going to be growing the food. And where is the food going to come from? I think we're setting up for a colossal famine. We're setting up for a colossal dystopia. And the single most revolutionary thing you can do is to hearken back uh, to Emerson and Thoreau and learn self-reliance and go out in the real world and practice the skills of self-reliance. And ultimately that's the only thing that's going to save you and your family. That, that was a brilliant uh, summary. Um, you know, that many, many layers of thought there. Um, so Ginny, what, what's your, what are your concluding thoughts on the metaverse? Well, I'm disturbed that robot Zuckerberg is uh, leading it and is in competition with um mastermind bill gates um i think the people that are leading the way right now commercially are the ones that we really have to watch out for because we see how their performance has been over this last pandemic and so the it's uh there may be other smaller uh parts of the metaverse that are developing that i don't know about that might have more creative or utilitarian areas but right now we know that bill gates and mark zuckerberg are just doing it to trap, as Dennis says, to trap people, to entrap them so they can be controlled because we've already seen it during the pandemic that their main desire is to victimize and control. Yeah, that wow, that's that's dark. Um, so both you and Dennis ended on a dark note there. <laughs> Sid, uh, what, are your, what are your concluding thoughts? Um, I pretty much agree with what Dennis and Jenny said. I would just note that uh, they have to tell you. So look for the signs. They have to show you their hand and they have to give you forewarning before they act on it. I mean, it's I a trap. I think they are. It, it's a, sorry, Jenny, but it's a trap. It's a total trap. Like, just do what Dennis said. Go out into the woods, learn self-reliance. Like, we, you have to disconnect. Like, you don't have to totally right now, but 
you have to start the process of. Well, it's like it, it's know? like the rat utopia um, experiments, you know, where all the rats were given everything that they needed, all the food, all the water, shelter, and then the communities ended up going crazy and, and dying. And uh, and it also kind of reminds me, just speaking of rats, Ginny mentioned that one article that was in The Guardian where they were uh, stimulating the brains of rats with, uh, you know, graphene oxide or, or magnetoferritins or whatever, and they kept going over to a particular place where there was a magnet in their cage, and they would you know, ignore food and water, and they they kept getting dopamine drips from the magnet. Yeah. You know, and and they starved to death. And so, I mean, that seems like an apt metaphor for the uh, for the metaverse. I mean, it it is that dopamine drip, that that digital dopamine drip uh, that will see you becoming decoupled from physical reality, and the end goal of that is you dying. I have a collection of uh, video clips of people with VR goggles screaming and jumping into bookshelves, TVs, and windows because they're not separating that reality out from their real reality. Wow. That exactly. I mean, it, yeah. it, it does, it does bear a resemblance to schizophrenia, doesn't it? Like at the, in the opening, you know, this is insanity. Like Dennis said, the marketing of insanity, you know, Oh, isn't this fun? You can't tell reality from, from fantasy. And like I said, we have a president right now offering people drug paraphernalia. You know, this is unprecedented. Oh and that's reality. <laughs> yeah. Where on the one hand, they're telling you, Oh, this is against the law. If you do it, you know, I'll arrest you, but here's the equipment to do it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's insane <laughs> to think that we're even living there, right? like living through this era. Like this would happen. To think that this was, <laughs> it's it's um it's laughable, you know. But it's laughable because it's so insane. You wouldn't have pictured this 15 years ago, or even or even 10 years ago. Yeah, this is Weimar Republic, you know, 2.0, uh, where we're collapsing and we're, you know, dealing with it in slightly different ways, you know, like narcotics are so 20th century. And so now the new narcotic is, uh, you know, kind of digital neurological manipulation, yeah. you know. Well, so. it's definitely already been introduced into the majority of the population. The, you know, the, the control mechanism has already been installed into the nervous systems. Yeah, and I think a lot of that's going to happen, and they're not going to be doing it with VR goggles. They're they're not even going to be aware that it's being done to them. Exactly, that's the most terrifying part when it gets beyond the goggles, and they dispense with that, and somebody distantly can just push a button, and somebody else is driving a car, and they get sucked into the met where they can't tell. You know, their eyes are seeing a particular thing, their ears are hearing particular things, their their sense of smell might be manipulated. You know, they're you know, so they think that they're in this digital world when in the real world they're driving a car and they slam into a truck, you know, <laughs> because they've been yeah. sucked in. The ability for somebody to remotely be able to to like, you know, activate, you know, magnetoferritins in your brain and suck you into this digital world, you know, and, and, and the, the, the corollary of that, where once you're in that world, there will be people who will be able to keep you from getting out of it. You know, we're, we're, you're not going to have control at a certain point of the on off switch, you know, but at first they're not going to do that up front. It's, it's going to be very much like the Viewmaster goggles and you'll be thinking, you know, you, you'll be led to believe that you have agency and all you have to do is take it off of your head, you know, until that one day when they, they basically, you know, say, okay, well, it's injected in you, you know, you can't get this yeah. out. Well, the other, the other one, other little thing I'd like to bring up is that uh, for all the action and reaction that people have to the metaverse that people need to realize that it's a two-way street so that analytics are being run on people as they respond. It's a two-way street because the data that those people, you know, the data that uh, their physiological responses, their mental responses, and the actions that they take in games are all being analyzed for real actions that will happen to them in the real world. It's a, a, an information gathering uh, system that has a lot more to – not necessarily to do with sales. Sales is one mechanism of control, but it's going to be – you know, I'm just seeing this as the, the movie The Matrix showed where eventually the simulation is inseparable from reality. People just don't – they won't know. And they won't right now. They don't even know. I mean, if you think about all the electromagnetic fields with 5G coming in and the installation of the graphene oxide 
along their major nerve centers, it's going to do a lot more than just cause myocarditis. It is going, it, it is in their central brain regions. I just recently saw a video of a woman getting her nails done in Vietnam. And she had, since one hand was being worked on, she was trying to manipulate her cell phone. It was only six inches or so from her chest. And she's looking up, ha having a conversation when the cell phone flashes twice and she suddenly goes into a seizure and then dies of a heart attack. Wow. <laughs> that is that okay we're, we're gonna end it on that dy dystopian note um <laughs> and that concludes this episode of under the iceberg i'd like to thank our panel jenny silcox dennis barrett and the mysterious sid and me i'm daniel natal catch you on the next episode of under the iceberg <laughs>